Hello, and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay and Ellie, and spoilers, Arjun, my son here, is the Raven Man. <laughs> and get <laughs> back, get <laughs> back here, You Arjun. need me, Liliana. No, <laughs> nice to <laughs> you alone. You should nope. use the chain mail. Get back over here. <laughs> Stop it. Do it. Do it. Get over here. I am Lorelai Weisel, and I'm a Hummerid, and it's low tide, so I think I'll take a nap. I'm Brian, and I'm Guybrush Threepwood, and I'll be in War of the Spark, and we'll duel Bolus to the death with pirate insults. Yar. I'm Carrie, and I'm such a troll that you can tap one mon of any color to regenerate me. And today we're going to tackle one of our favorite topics in a three-part in-depth series, the geography of Jamora. We don't always talk about these little-known facts about Dominaria, but here on the Vorthos cast, we never want to leave a stone unturned, eh? Ha ha! Uh, okay, Jay, that's enough out of you. Uh, so what I, what I feel is most important about Jamura and what gets overlooked a lot is it's actually the natural home of the Beebles. Oh! Uh, that's they, before they were abducted by Urza of the Tour and Academy, they lived here in trees uh, within the trunks in order to hide their bright pink skin they come out at night at twilight that's very interesting and then they climb to the top of the trees and then they like a flying squirrel but they instead just fall down and bounce to Uh, the adjacent uh, trees carrie that's not in the wiki uh that's not in the wiki carrie carrie are you trolling us again darn it carrie stop it gosh darn it carrie it sounds like you don't have full appreciation of true magic lore clearly you can't depend on the wiki the wiki is for scrubs well Speaking of scrubs, scrublands are actually a very important part of the geography of Jamora. I saw on Carrie's Twitter that they're actually going to be reprinted in War of the Spark. Oh, Carrie! Carrie! You did it again! <laughs> Whoa. That was weird. Are, are we back? Wait, no. Let's go back. I like the way I was. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I, I I don't know. I was so short. Jay, I've seen you in person. You didn't lose that much. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, are you here now? I am. I know I'm a little small. It's easy to miss me. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. I guess we should just kind of kind of get going after whatever that was. So, this week, we were going to talk about uh, Planeswalkers of War, Part 3. First week, we did the good. Second week, we did the bad. This week, the Ugin. So, Ugin is an elder dragon from Dominaria. Twin brother of Nicobolus. Last of the fallen from that clutch of the Ur-Dragon. The Eternal Dreamer the scion of new worlds and discovery and meditation. And he's got the responsibility to keep his asshole twin under control because Bullis is just going a little off the rails. I I don't know if y'all have noticed that he's not really a great guy. Ugin's relationship with his brother has been very strained over the tens of thousands of years that they have been alive. They've dueled multiple times, each time with Bolas coming out on top. He killed Ugin in the Meditation Realm, and then Ugin was reborn out of those mystical waters. He killed Ugin on Tarkir, and then he was brought back with Sarkin's temporal meddling with a Hedron from the Eye of Ugin itself. 
So Ugin is back and has been very secretive. He's been very behind the scenes in kind of the similar way that Bolas was, ironically, uh, before. So he, he showed up on Zendikar and told Jace how to make an aligned Hedron network to trap Ulamog. And then that whole plan didn't work and they killed the, the Eldrazi. And Ugin got very angry and had some of my favorite lines in Magic Story because he yells at everybody in that story. But afterwards, he hasn't really done anything. We've gotten a lot of his backstory in both Chronicle of Bolas, obviously, and then a little bit in Rivals of Ixalan, where we learned about his plan to trap Bolas with Azor using the Immortal Sun. But otherwise, Ugin has just kind of sat back in the shadows and mostly worried about the Eldrazi. He sent Sorin after Nahiri, and then obviously that didn't go so well. That he has. A card in this set is mysterious, because we don't exactly know what his motives are, we don't know what his plans of action are, and Ugin is someone who always has a plan. So what does he plan to do in this situation? How much does he know about Bolas's plot? How much does he know about what the Gatewatch is up to? He is this not-enemy-but-not-quite-ally character, and I'm very interested to see what he is up to and what he figures out. I, I know a lot of people have been hoping for a third showdown between him and Bolas, and I guess we will wait and see what happens. Third time's the charm, right? Uga's gonna give it to you. So the next character we want to talk about is the one most closely associated with Ugin, at least up until this point. Sarkon Vol. So Sarkon was originally from the plain of Tarkir. He went and met with some Temur shamans. He was originally Mardu himself. And got some weird ideas into his head. Ended up taking out part of his own army when he transformed into a dragon. And began kind of a lifelong obsession with dragons. So he explored the multiverse and eventually stumbled onto Jund. Now... On Jund, he met a Johnny Goldmane. A Johnny had just lost his brother and wasn't sure of his magic yet. This is when the planes were still split apart. Sarkon, being Sarkon, decided that he would mentor a Johnny a little bit and teach him how to planeswalk. Well, how he did that is he walked him up to a volcano and pushed him in. <laughs> no, he jumped in, and then Ajani jumped in afterwards, yeah. Not um, not maliciously, but he's like, you know, it, if you're going to do it, it's got to be under times of, like, extreme stress for you to get used to it. So, good luck. Gotta jump. Uh, and it was kind of like a leap of faith kind of thing. I don't know if mentoring is the correct word for, like, <laughs> two minutes of interaction. But I appreciate it. <laughs> you cut down the, the time in the movie theater. It's a lot of the mentor interaction is only like two minutes anyway. So it makes sense. Checks out. Yeah, that's about as much training as Luke got from Obi-Wan. Sarkon then remained on Jund and ended up getting tangled into Nicol Bolas's plots. And so when he met the Elder Dragon, he immediately sensed Bolas's majesty. But what he didn't sense is Bolas's malevolence. So he decided Bolas was the dragon he wanted to serve and pledged himself to Bolas. How'd that work out? Immediately regretted it. Not <laughs> well. So. 
Sarkon was dispatched to Zendikar, where he was forced to wait in the Eye of Ugin, and he slowly went insane. Although, going insane, we learn later, is he wasn't just talking to spirits that weren't there, he was actually communing with Ugin's spirit. And he took a sliver of the Eye of Ugin with him when he, he fled the plane after being confronted by Jason Chandra. And eventually found his way back home in the Tarkir block, found his way to Ugin's grave, and something weird happened where the Hedron and Ugin's bones had this weird magical effect, and Sarkon went back in time. I like to think in the comic where there's a moment where uh, Sarkon is attacking Chandra because he's saying he has to sacrifice her. Uh, I like to think that in his mind, Ugin is going, "Stop her! Don't don't let her don't let her get here." And he's like, "What? Sacrifice her? You want me to sacrifice her?" Ugin's like, "No, stop her!" And he's like, Sac- "Okay, you want me to kill her? You want to sacrifice her?" Just like a game of uh, telepathic telephone. <laughs> is the reception working on this thing? Damn it! So. <laughs> When he, when he finally travels back in time, he is able to keep Ugin from being outright killed and the magic of the Hedron he brought with him cocoons Ugin. And so when he returns to the present, everything has changed. Rather than dragons dying out with Ugin, they multiplied and took over the, the clans, leaving only the dragon lords in charge. And this is something Sarkon probably didn't have a major problem with. He never existed in this version of Tarkir, though. So he kind of just emerged fully formed at this point and (laughs) goes to find Ugin, the dragon he had worked so hard to save, and the counterpoint to Nicol Bolas. Well, didn't he, like, despair over the loss of his parents and everybody he was related to? No, not really. His parents are pretty much dead. (laughs) If they ever existed at all. He did despair over the uh, Khan's timeline, Narset, who was killed by uh, Zergo. But hey, she's back in this timeline. He kind of just stalked the other Narset, like, hey, we're friends. And like, uh, no, we are not. And he's like, yeah, we are, we're friends. So, Narset in the original timeline, became the leader of the Jeskai and was the enlightened master. In this other timeline, she's Narset Transcendent. In the new timeline where she's a planeswalker, she finds scrolls underneath the Jeskai temple that leads her to stories about the times before the dragons took over, and she approaches... Um, Odrutai about this, and he goes to kill her, and that's when she planeswalks for the first time. So she's now a member of Tamio's story circle with a Johnny and Tamio and Tamio's children, adopted or biological. And we haven't really heard much about her since then. So yeah, that's Narset. So Kiora, who is canonically the best planeswalker. And... <laughs> She's from Zendikar and traveled the multiverse looking for sea monsters to fight the Eldrazi, which didn't go so well. But uh, she did help during the final battle and 
then got counterspelled by Jace because Jace is mean. Instead of joining the Gatewatch, she just kind of walked off into the sunset after the victory and hasn't been seen since. So like a lot of other planeswalkers that we've seen in these stained glass images, Kiora doesn't have any ties to this bolus plot. Is Brian's idea about something pulling planeswalkers to Ravnica the true thing? Of course. I'm always right, right? She gets to see her old friend Ajani, you know, from that very, very memorable interaction. She does. She pretended to be Thassa. <laughs> well, she she <laughs> pretended to be, um, what's her face? Caliphae? Yeah. She pretended to be Caliphae to Elspeth and Ajani and pretended to be a scion of Thassa to the Tritons because she just lies to everybody. I, I, I interpreted that as her um, being miss, like, they thought she was and she didn't correct them. That's still lying. <laughs> I guess it's a lie of omission, that's fair, but still. Point is, Cure's awesome, and she's here. You forgot to mention she's, uh, she's slippery and blue. Do we know if she still has her Bident? She does. She never lost it. She did lose it, but she recovered it with Jorianne, because they're dating. And actually, in the stained glass window, it's a trident. Dovin's finger had to go somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. So next we have Soren Markov. We meet Soren when he has returned to Zendikar to help with the Eldrazi release that happened when Sarkon, as I mentioned before, fought Chandra and Jace at the Eye of Ugin. He was originally one of the people who sealed the Eldrazi 6,000 years ago with Ugin and Nahiri, and then pledged to return. But uh, a thousand years ago, when the Eldrazi were released, he was busy creating Avacyn and the Hell Vault, and he didn't get the uh, he didn't get the memo. He had a confrontation with Nahiri when he didn't sh- show up, and sealed her in the Hell Vault. When he goes to Zendikar later and travels with Nyssa to the Eye of Ugin, Nyssa decides to destroy the Eye rather than uh, help him seal it. And so he ends up saying, F it, I'm done with all of this. Goodbye, good luck. We then see him next. Vaguely in the backstory for Innistrad, he appears in Dak Faden's comic very briefly to kick Dak's butt. The last couple times we saw him, the first time was resurrecting Ugin and getting chastised and told to go find Nahiri. And then in Shadows Over Innistrad, he was forced to unmake Avacyn after Avacyn went crazy thanks to Nahiri's revenge and was trapped where, Brian? In a rock! <laughs> what? does Nahiri mean to you? Sometimes it's killing off thousands on Innistrad. Sometimes it's just protecting Zendikar. Nahiri started off in the story as we know it um, on Zendikar about 6,000 years ago, sealing away the Eldrazi along with Sorin, who she had known prior, and Ugin, the spirit dragon. They successfully sealed away the Eldrazi. Fast forward about 5,000 years, she handles a potential Eldrazi uprising pretty single-handedly, but 
during that effort had activated the beacon at the Eye of Ugin, calling for help from Ugin and Sorin. Neither showed. Ugin was busy comatose, and Sorin ended up having some interference. And so she had visited Innistrad to try to confront Sorin over this fact. He got pissy, because he's kind of a man-child, and <laughs> I'll get as many Sorin digs as I can in. He deserves them, so yeah. And sealed her away in the Hell Vault. When she was broken from the Hell Vault, along with Avacyn and Gristlebrand and a host of other whores, um, she had returned to Zendikar, found two, well, found at least one continent pretty much entirely destroyed by the Eldrazi, and had returned to Innistrad to plot. Um, there she took revenge on Markov Manor, Soren's familial home, and did the whole cryptolith thing, summoned Emrakul. You guys know a lot of the rest. I mean, that's most of Nahiri's plan. She had sealed Soren away in a rock and had peaced out from Innistrad. Arlen is a werewolf planeswalker from Innistrad who was first introduced in the uh, Shadows Over Innistrad story Under the Silver Moon, where she meets the characters Hal and Elena as they investigate a lycanthrope problem. She didn't have as much lore as some of the other planeswalkers, but she has appeared in two stories, and she's a bit of a phantom favorite because she's a werewolf, and she's one of those rare female characters over 35. She's also one of my favorites, not just because she's awesome, but because you may or may not know that I love werewolves, like, it just in general. So anyway, her first change into a werewolf, uh, which is called the first hunt, was when she was a teenager, but unlike others, she resisted the change and used Avicennian magic to fight it off. She hit her curse to study magic, and eventually she became the Archmage of Gold Knight, and the day she became the Archmage, she was attacked by devils and lost control of her wolf side and ended up slaughtering her fellow mages, igniting her spark. And when she planeswalked, she was unable to change back into human, as she can only transform on Innistrad, which was probably going to come up. But uh, being trapped in wolf form allowed her, and, well, allowed and or forced her to learn to love her wolf side. She's now returned to Innistrad and has full control over her transformations, and is proof of what I've been saying for years, that the monsters of Innistrad aren't necessarily evil. These days, uh, she's sort of a werewolf rights activist, and uh, she teamed up with Thalia. Thalia? How are we saying her name? Thalia? She teamed up with Thalia and her guys at the Battle of Thrabin against Emrakul, so hopefully she's earned a little respect for her kind since then. And I'm excited to see her back, not just because she's super great, but because uh, I really want to know what has happened on Innistrad since we've last seen it. We are on next to Yangu. He is a planeswalker from an undisclosed planar location. He basically woke up one day with no memory of his past and settled in with a river clan. And he assisted them in purifying their water supply and... He ended up kind of walking off with Mu Yenling in hopes of, I don't know, remembering anything about his life prior to the day he woke up. Um, these stories were disclosed in the Global Series decks, and we don't really have much to emphasize on besides he's here, and I believe 
You can see Mowu in the stained glass art, so yes, Mowu is there. Which is interesting, because you kind of just get a free Planeswalker companion post-mending. Well, Yangu paid for the DLC. Oh, okay. (laughs) So Davriel Kane is a Planeswalker who just wants to be left alone. Um, He currently makes his residence on Innistrad, where he's conning his way out of having his soul claimed by a number of demons who try to lay claim to it. Um, He is a master at wording contracts in his favor, something I hope Liliana gets a moment to learn from. And um, he is a lord of a small plot of land on Innistrad that uh, he recently helped save from basically mass murder, I guess, because of a weird entity trying to gain its power after a number of Avicennian church people started uh, stealing his power because of their claiming souls of their faithful. Um, But that's all outlined in Brandon Sanderson's short novella, which was actually quite good. And we did a whole episode about it. Yes, you should definitely read it. Children of the Nameless on the website. It's free. Right now, we don't know a whole lot about his motivations. We know that he has some sort of patron that kind of lives inside of his head for right now. Um, We know that it is a sort of power that is an entity that is similar to that that was trying to claim the lives of the people he ended up saving. Um, But we still don't know exactly what the nature of that entity is. But hopefully we find out soon, because he's a very interesting character, and I hope he recurs in the magic story in years to come, at least in the near future. It's going to be awfully convenient for him to be on Ravnica, because like, it's a nice peaceful plane where like nothing really is going on. Yeah, I know, right? It'd be a nice vacation for someone like Davriel. He can really get himself lost and away from people on Ravnica. So our next planeswalker is Teo Verada. Teo is from a plane called Gobakan, which has a ring of civilization that is surrounded on both sides by these two massive sandstorms that are just kind of perpetually going. They have like diamond storms that get spewed out, and in order to protect civilization, there is the Order of the Shield Mage. Uh, Teo is one of those shield mages, but he's the worst shield mage in the Order, and his very first planeswalk as his spark knights is arriving on Ravnica during War of the Spark. You'll learn a lot more about Teo soon, so we're not going to get much more into him. That's about all we know. And with that, we're going to move on to the two mystery characters that were in the stained glass. So I want everyone to start talking about a uh, big hat lady. She's the one with the big hat. I said that's actually me. She looks fairly tall, so don't think that's you. Wow. Yep, I said it. Roasted. I feel like the only defining features we have for Big Hat Lady, as she is codenamed in our work, is a strange feathery kind of blade sword. Reminds me of Gideon's Sorrel, but a little bit stranger. And a conical hat, which Reddit accurately deduced makes her urza 
Because <laughs> Blind Sierra wore a conical hat. Me laughing hilariously does neither confirm nor deny anything. <laughs> that you know of. Also, there's a strange lack of any face where you would expect face to be. Yep. That could just be the stained glass, but who knows? Um, my theory is that she has no head. The, the stained glass images had like really creepy, realistic faces, so I'm pretty happy to not see one of these here. No, it's like a, you know the like the ghost story about like the lady, and you take the ribbon off of her neck, and then her head falls off. Um, I think it's like you take her hat off, and you realize, oh my god, she doesn't have a head. You take her hat off, and her head just goes with it. No, she doesn't have a head under there. Like the hat was her head. Then who was phone? So I would piece two and two together and say if there is a planeswalker called the Wanderer and there is a planeswalker who just seems to be lacking a face, that seems compatible. I agree. For just like weird unknown reasons. But yeah, that's the most I can say about it. And then the next one we had is Hooded Redhead Lady. These are some stellar names. I'm going to say something. I have a big theory, and it is very um, unfortunate and cursed. So I apologize in advance, um, but if just looking at how she looks, this is Jason Chandra's illegitimate child. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's honestly, unfortunately, the only thing I got. Okay, white and blue, so it's it's Jay Chandra and Gideon's child. Yeah, all three of them. Oh, and a staff, so Nissa also. I don't know how they manage this, but unfortunately, I don't like it, but that's how it is. It's the truth. Um, the two top theories that the brain geniuses across the internet have come up with is this is Sigarda Ignited, because her staff looks yeah, yeah, you're remotely right. similar. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> and also that this would also qualify as Venser's daughter. Because nobody can have a diamond on their chest without being Venser. Let's regroup once War of the Spark is out and see if either of those are true. At least, okay, Venser's daughter is at least, like, I guess you can't rule that out, like. Yes. Well, Venser was also 60 years old and definitely looked it, so who knows? Who knows what timey-wimey stuff can happen. My question is, what kind of magic is she doing? She's got, like, a nature staff, but then... We don't know this nature I mean, it's a twig. Or it could be shaped like an Innistrad cryptolith for a reason, Jay. Maybe maybe it's Descenda ignited. Who knows? Maybe it's Emrakul ignited. Ooh, hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> hold up, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe it's Merit Lage! It's never Merit Lage. Question, we haven't seen Merit Lage post-mending, so what if... Merit Lage had to revert to human form. I would argue that the thing on her uh, hood is sort of a seashell shape. Yeah, I can see it. And, like, you could argue that the rest is, like, fish fins. So she is, she's almost nautical. And that would explain the staff, of course, fitting with the nautical theme. So she could be Merit Lage. The front of her robes looks kind of dark. Like... It, it could be representing, like, the dark depths. You yes, know, like the ice exactly. Uh-oh. I got a link hot off the presses from a 1J Anelli. <laughs> and it is for 
a Threos god of passage whose staff looks similar. A Threos ignited. A Threos, the famous god that had to share the space with Erebus. Um, okay, so we make fun of these theories, but honestly, they're so woke. I love stuff like this. Please. <laughs> oh, goodness. They're amazing. I think the key to learn about most of the Vorthos speculation over the past decade is that non-Planeswalker characters don't generally just ignite and then show up on a different plane, like non-Planeswalker legendary characters especially, angels especially, especially. So we'll just doubt this one as Sigarda's for now. I would also comment that neither of the unknown Planeswalker arts seem to have really any distinguishing outfit features that would place them on a specific plane. So, also interesting. I mean, Teo also just, like, came from um, an entirely unknown plane to us a few months ago, so. So, you know what this says to me? Both of these characters die in the book because they're not important. No, <laughs> they're so cool. I hate you. Waste time and energy and space creating new planeswalkers. And kill them off immediately. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Jay, you say that, but that's literally what they did for duels 2015 with the garrick's revenge campaign i mean it's also what they did for invasion so i'm like i'm jokingly being facetious because it could really go either way you know like half of the nine titans were brand new hey carrie what was your old twitter name oh yeah it was ronos what happened to that guy glad the garrick okay just just just, <laughs> just checking you know we saw art for him once and he's good and he's dead so it's not and weren't y'all the ones who were saying that Jaya was going to finally get a card and then just die? Ooh. We did. We definitely said she was going to die. To be fair, that's what happened to Venser. It's true. <laughs> so yeah, this is the thing, and this is why I'm comfortable saying this, is because it has gone both ways in the past with both a returning character suddenly dying out of nowhere uh, and new characters suddenly dying out of nowhere. So, <laughs> it could really go either way, people. But as we have seen with Baltrice, that doesn't mean new <laughs> characters who come out of nowhere and just die have to stay dead. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Jay, get on that. What happened to Baltrice? <sighs> she died in Agents of Artifice. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure, and she gets deader every time someone asks me. <laughs> I do think having 36 planeswalkers in the set, and 37 or 38, depending on how many count otherwise. Somebody's gotta die. Yeah, and that's just not gonna bode well for like a lot of fan favorites. And even if they kill two at random... It's just, like, that's that's kind of the lower end of what I would expect. So you just introduce new planeswalkers that no one knows about, and then they do their off-screen death. To, oh yeah, they totally died doing this one thing that we needed to do. They actually completed the task, but they died. I think it'd be very funny if some fandom non-favorites died, like Soren. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you remember that list of, of 20, I, 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 or, or 30, or whatever it was. I tried to get a lot more randos killed. <laughs> Sociopath J strikes again. 
I have a question. Go for it. You know that art we saw um, that was posted by the Magic Wizards account where the beam of light was shooting onto Gideon, Ajani, Jace? What if this is just an elaborate, say, Smash crossover? Oh, God. Oh, snap! Jace is gonna be in Smash! Well, I think the most important thing is Kirby is a planeswalker, then. Oh, of course. Which makes sense. Or Kirby inhaled a planeswalker and took their spark. Oh. Does this mean Jace is gonna be like a Ness reskin? Is that what's happening here? <laughs> Jace is me fighter. <laughs> <laughs> I would genuinely pay money just to make my make like a uh, me me fighter swordsman look like Gideon or something. Jenny is telling me something that she wants me to say on the show. She says I should be on the show. Sorin, actually, she says Soin is a bard. Hashtag Sorin is a bard. Hashtag lawful evil bard. Hashtag Bards Rock. Soren be like sedimentary, my dear Roxon. That's her message. Well, if if Jenny ever uh, replaced you on the show, would would we like actually notice? Like, how how similar do you two sound? We actually have different voices. Um, oh. <laughs> and she would be saying stuff like hashtag Soren is a bard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but if if Jenny ever replaced you, then we could get Beta on the podcast. Well, Jenny lives here now, so no, you couldn't. It would still be Annie. So we'll get Teppy on the podcast. Yeah, Teppy could be on, or the bird. There are two more planeswalkers we want to talk about before we sign off here. The first is Tezzeret, and the second is Dak Faden, neither of whom appeared in the stained glass artwork, but have been confirmed as being part of the story you can't have your your escape route trapped inside right he, he's obviously the plant the living planner portal and he has to be off plane so he can warp bolus off right that that's what that's what that means he might not be in the set but he's definitely he's 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 in the shadows ready to pull the hook for bolus whenever he's he he brings the turtles there and then he beams them out when he needs to. At this point, yeah, we know Tezzeret is the planar bridge right now, and that the planar ridge brings the Eternals to Ravnica, because we've all seen the artwork for it. Plus, that's literally what his M19 card did. It's literally the planar bridge of fields. Exactly. And then there's Dak, who we have not seen since his hey. cliffhanger. <laughs> How are you going to go into the underworld and not bring Elspeth? Man, what the hell? I'm sorry, um, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of salty about that because I miss me some Elspeth. I will be excited to find out what has happened in the literal years since the Theros story and his entrance into the underworld. If he discloses any of that to anybody, but I imagine these planeswalkers will be kind of chatting it up, like, "Hey, why are we here? <laughs> like, what were you doing when you got yanked here?" So what I'll say is, there's a war going on, there's not a whole lot of time for everyone to recount their life stories to one another. What, you don't do that when you're in mortal danger? I mean, I do, but that's because I'm a sociopath. Okay, that's fair. So, you know, just, just keep that in mind. A lot of characters, as Greg said in the panel, a lot of characters get a moment, but they're not necessarily main characters for the story. 
Because again, 36 Planeswalkers, plus Tezzeret, plus Dak, plus a whole bunch of Ravnican characters is <laughs> a whole lot. As long as Soren ends up in a rock or some dirt because he's dead or something, I'm good. That's all I care about. I would love for Soren to die this set. That is my one wish for War of the Spark. That's also my wish. Are we agreeing that that is the, the official wish? Yes. The official Vorthos cast wish for us three is Soren just to die. <laughs> Soren die <laughs> challenge. All right, so this is probably your last chance. Let's let's do uh, a Vorthos cast death pool. Lorelai and I are excluded, but um, the between the three, each of you tell me who you think uh, are your. Let's just go with one most likely to die. I would say like top three definitely gonna die. Planeswalkers. All right, go with top three then. I didn't want to. I don't want to set expectations one way or another. So I was gonna go with top one, but top three works. All right, my top three to die are Big Hat Lady, Soren, and Gideon, even though I feel like two of those are gimmies. I'm going to say Gideon because I feel like he's too good. I'd be sad. Nissa, maybe? And then one of the, like, randos. Okay, one of the, like, two new ones there? Yes. And Carrie? I will boldly say Domri, Ralzarek. And Nicol Bolas. Okay. We will revisit this in a month and talk about it. And with that, let's move on to final thoughts. My final thought is put Doretti in standard. I was demanding where Doretti at for a long time, and I realize now I need my standard Doretti. He's had two printings, and neither of which has made tournament play. Lorelai. So I was playing Arena earlier today. I've been playing Merfolk and Standard because the deck is sweet, because blue-based aggro decks are sweet, because they get to run counterspells too. I was playing up against a black-white control deck, and I had a draw that was pretty mediocre at first glance, but ended up panning out really well, because I ended up winning off the back of Silvergill Adepts, which are just little two ones that draw a card for two mana when you reveal a merfolk. And they're low impact. They're mostly just a tribal payoff and some card velocity for the deck. But they do attack for two, and when you have multiples, uh, you know, two of them attack for four. And control decks want to maneuver the game to the strength of their cards in their hand and win through card advantage and um, make it to a long game where they start burying their opponents. That's really hard to do, though, when decks like mine have four counter spells during the game. And I don't know why it's most satisfying to counter control deck spells, probably because they put so much effort into controlling a game and deciding how things go, and you get to tell them no. It's the most satisfying no. But I got to cast three Wizards Retorts and a Spell Pierce and just beat them down with dinky little two ones. And it felt so good. I just love blue. It's the best color. Brian. So my final thought is that on 3-26-19, Lorelai Weissel on Twitter said, Okay, so this is going to sound weird. Coming from me. What if Merrill Age is an avatar of an entity as nefarious as the one inside 
Gabriel's mind. Hashtag MTG. Hashtag Worthos. And I would just like to say that Lorelai Weissel <laughs> has finally admitted it could actually be Merritt Lage. Woohoo! That, that's, that's all I needed. I just, I felt a little bit warm and fuzzy inside that one day. And it made me feel really nice. It's never Merritt Lage, but there are lots of interesting things you could do with her, and I've seen none of the Merritt Lage people put them forward. I, I have now said Entity and um, teaming up with Xur, who is still alive. You can't go revisionist history on me. Uh, you, you said it could be. <laughs> All right? that's I, I don't need your revisionist history up in here, your fake news and stuff. You said it could be. <laughs> And that's what we're going with. You don't need to take it back. That's all I need to say. And also, I miss Chris RD19 because I, I, I liked the ideas for for my final thoughts. But it's okay. I miss you, buddy. So, But you, too, could be the contributor to my final thoughts if you are a Patreon. But we can get to that later. Ashley? My final thought is, so some of y'all might know that it's a thing to make like fan walkers which is you know your own planeswalker so mine she originally lived on innistrad but then along comes imrakul and due to events uh marginally related to imrakul she ended up her spark ignited and she came to ravnica where she has been kind of she's been happy there for a while kind of an uneventful life as a rakdos clown and then along's coming all of this so i've just thought it was very funny that my uh, my character lives on Ravnica and is either going to have to leave or just observe all of these horrible things happening. Be like, oh man, sure glad I'm not on the stained glass building. <laughs> so anyway, that's my final thought. Gary? I feel foolish in the minutes since I've chosen my three planeswalkers <laughs> to die in War of the Spark. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to reassess these. You want to do over? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going with Ajani, Chandra, and Tybalt. But, Gary. What's up? Hey, you haven't happened to read Chandra number one yet, have you? Oh, I was just waiting for number two, and then I'd catch up. (laughs) What happens? Got it. Fair enough. (laughs) So if you, too, would like to make predictions about who is going to live or die and discuss these sorts of things with other Vorthoses, you can head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast because everyone who supports our show gets access to our Discord server where we have people from around the world discussing these kinds of exciting happenings in the community. We have a bunch of other rewards too. Uh, We have a tier that gets you a bonus episode every month called Pool from the Deep where we discuss some kind of topic related to the time of year or what's going on in the community. Just something short that isn't going to make a normal episode, but is still kind of interesting. And then we also do live listens. So at our highest tier, you can show up on Thursday nights around 7.30 Eastern Time. It's when we record the podcast, and you can listen to it live and get to hear all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff, get access to the episode early, and have a good time hanging out with us before and after the show. And occasionally feeding me my final thought. Yes, you can control Brian's mind. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.